0: Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash-flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shetsky.
1: Welcome back to another episode of crushing cashflow. I'm your host as usual, Andrew Shetsky, And with me today is Nasser Alhafi. Nasser is a commercial real estate broker with Capstone based out of Tampa, Florida. He has a strong background in commercial real estate lending and multifamily development, excelling in various roles as a portfolio manager of a $300 plus million commercial portfolio, and also assisting in the ground up construction of over 500 multifamily units. His experience in both the lending and development sides of the industry allows him to better service clients and transactional advisory needs. Great background, uh, Nasser, Thanks so much for joining us, man.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Good to, good to talk to you. So let's
1: start off by you know the state of the market. Uh, I, you know, I send out monthly newsletters to my investors, uh, right. kind of describing the way things are. And I think Tampa is in your area. Just we'll say Central <laughs> Florida, Gulf Coast, Florida. You know, pretty much all of Florida. Is usually in the top five or top ten in the country. So, you know, what I'll give you a broad question to kick things off. Sure. What's yeah. your take? What's your what's the sanity check like on the state of the market today on the commercial real estate spectrum?
2: Yeah, man. I mean, it's uh, prices are just going through the roof. Cap rate, cap rates are ridiculously compressed. Uh, it's a number of reasons. I don't think anyone really knows exactly 100% why. But I think a big reason is you're seeing a lot of investors coming from places where it's a bit more difficult to be a landlord right now. So they're coming in from places like New York, California, Washington state, places like that, where it's a little tougher to be a landlord. So they want to get into Florida where, you know, businesses are open. You go down outside anywhere in Florida, really it's everything's open, you know, uh, restaurants, hotels, things like that. So, um, from a landlord's perspective, they're looking at it like, well, my tenants are likely going to be able to pay rent. Um, So they're coming down here and, you know, if you trade out of a deal in New York and you're looking at 1031 into a deal here in Florida, even at the crazy prices we're seeing right now on a per door basis, it's a discount, right? It's a discount from what they're paying up in New York and they feel that it's still a good deal based on their knowledge of the market. Now, that might change going forward, but, you know, at least this year, especially start of the year, it felt like January 1st. It was just a whirlwind of deals getting done off market, people putting ridiculous price, pricing in front of owners. And they're saying, well, you know, yeah, I can market this thing and maybe get a better deal, but I could close this within, you know, 60, 90 days at a top end price. So why not? You know, so I think that's a big cause.
1: What's your typical buyer profile? You mentioned a lot of New York money coming the market. I hear that across the southeast where we invest. What's your typical? Is it institutional buyers coming, or is it private private equity? Or who's who's buying? And in-
2: yeah, it depends on the deal size, right? So if it's under two hundred units, uh, it could be just a wealthy individual that you know, like I mentioned earlier, traded out of a deal in a in a different market, and they came down to Florida and they wanted to get into something. Uh, you're still institutional buyers. They're they're just as savvy they know you know that they they know where they want to be and where to buy the deals so uh it's a mix but i would say the last couple deals we bought it we we sold rather uh were from individuals or you know uh, a small family office that looking to looking to break into florida so it really runs the gamut i would say we have a lot of 1031 buyers a lot of people are trading out of deals in other markets and they're trying to find stuff down here and the parameters are really broad. They don't uh, They don't really have any kind of specific thing. They want to be in your Tampa's, your Jacksonville's, uh, places like that. But outside of that, as long as they can get 100 plus units, that's really what they're looking for.
1: Now, I'm curious too. I mean, everybody's underwriting criteria is a little different. Are they open about what they're looking for in terms of returns? I do hearing, you know, it used to be, yeah, I don't look at anything below 18% IR. Those days are gone. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Right, but what, so, what, are they, what are you hearing?
2: People, it's... The last few conversations I've had over the past, uh, I would say, 30 to 60 days, people are not really looking at your conventional metrics, right? They're not looking at in place cap rates. They're not looking at in place IRRs or cash on cash. They're looking at what can I do to improve this property that maybe the current owner just wouldn't spend any time or money on because, you know, let's say you, you have a property owner who's owned the deal for 15 years. Their basis is so low that even if their rents are not maximized, they're still getting a great return and no headache. They don't have to pressure their tenants, especially in the pandemic kind of environment. They don't want to rock the boat too much. They don't have to. They're still making great returns for them. So these new investors are coming in like, well, this guy's not tried to push rents or tried to do any value add or because it just didn't make sense for them. So they're kind of, everything's kind of on a pro forma basis. They're not really looking at what's in place. Or, and, you know, places like Tampa, I think this year alone, we've had 15% rent growth this year. Wow. So it's just, you know, the opportunity is there now, whether they're achieving those metrics, I, I don't know. We, we just help facilitate the sale. And, you know, we, we wish the best of luck and assist where we can. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, underwriting metrics have gone uh, a little bit more broad and a little bit more, you know, optimistic future looking
1: yeah i remember you know the first few books i read multifamily years back it was like never buy a property based on the performer always buy on the you know the actual what's in place today and you rarely see that followed i think it if ever in the last let's say at least the last year right i mean everything's based on and rightfully so in a market like now where you know like you said taxes are way understated in the current state insurance Likely, you know, you see a lot of undercoverage scenarios, mm-hmm. even like self-managed properties. That's an expense you wouldn't otherwise incur. So it's not only the upside, but it's also the current cost basis for expenses you got to consider, too.
2: So absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, insurance, insurance alone is going up yeah. ridiculously, well, you know, even as brokers. You know, when we put a pro forma together. We try to make it as, as realistic as possible. We also need to show the absolute upside. Right. But when it comes to insurance, we can't. Shortchange that because you go to the insurance markets now. It's 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 super expensive. You know, c- certain deals like six, seven hundred bucks a door. Wow. Um, you know, in some cases, so it's it um, prices of costs of everything is going up. Just like you said, to, just to run a property, so it's 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 tough to um, look at what in look at what's in place and say, oh, I'm going to be able to do the exact same thing because, you know, as you buy a deal, your taxes is going to go up. Your insurance is likely going to go up because, you know, there's probably some people that have underinsured properties and, you know, so it's uh, it's challenging.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, I think the key insurance wise down your way is stay out of a flood zone if you can because- Yeah. Good luck in helps. Florida. Good luck. I know. There. I know. Well, there, there's opportunities, especially the larger buildings aren't usually- For yet. sure. So, so sure. when you, when you guys underwrite a property uh, for a listing, what do you, what are you looking for? You know, how are you shopping comps? What's your thought process? I mean, I'm curious because we cover a lot of investor side of things, but rarely do we ask the brokers, like, what do you guys look at when you underwrite?
2: So we typically look, so a lot of the deals that I, that I've been working on recently um, there are a lot of value add deals, maybe BC kind of properties. Um, we typically look, when we're looking at comps, we look at who's competing for the same tenants, not so much, Direct vintage direct no. Who's looking? Which properties are competing for the same tenants? And um, that helps us on a proximity basis, so a proximity to the to the asset we're underwriting, but also to get a better feel for that direct sub market within. So in a place like Tampa, there's multiple different sub markets. There's South Tampa, which you have you typically pay a premium for in rent. As you get more north, it's a little bit more affordable. But um, you know, it really it's on a case by case basis. It really it's really on us to kind of have a better idea of the actual market and figure out, okay, this property, they're getting $1. twenty-five per square foot in rents. Where else can we look around here that, that if this tenant gets priced out of this property, where would they look? Or if a new tenant's coming in, where are they looking? If they're looking to pay this amount of rent, where are they looking? And, and if this, if, if a comparable property has much higher rents, what kind of amenities do they have? What's different about them and how could we kind of shift this property that we're underwriting to get to that level. And that's kind of where we start our underwriting process. But again, it's a case by case basis. It, it really just depends what makes the most sense.
1: I think that's logical. And I mean the best case scenario is when you have, you know, a portion of the units already renovated and you've already got the lost lease in place. That's a slam dunk. But a lot of times sure. you don't, right? Or if it's like exactly. a, a mom and pop owned or a small uh, firm owns it, they may not have touched any of the units. So you're kind of having to start from ground ground zero. Exactly.
2: And sometimes we deal with properties where um, there is a value add component. And, you know, a lot of these sellers now, they want they want to get a buyer to pay for tomorrow's value today, right? So they're like, there's no value add here. But mm-hmm. if you did a value add, you could push rents, you know, 150, 200 bucks. But that has not been proven out of the property right? So sometimes we, we guide them and say, Hey, listen, if you want to get maximum pricing, why don't you do a value add in like 20% of the units and prove out the model show that you can achieve those higher end rents for the renovated units. And then we can go and it's on us as the brokers to tell that story and say, Hey, listen, this has already been proven out. You just do this across the whole property. You're in a wild increase, all this kind of stuff. So um, it's, yeah, it's uh, that's, that's really how we can kind of tackle that.
1: Perfect. So what what tips would you have for someone looking to find deals in today's market? I mean, it's super competitive. I mean, whether it's terms or is it relationships or connections, like what would be your top two or three tips for someone looking
2: today? Well, I would say that, look, everyone's a buyer. Everyone is, there's more money in the market than there are investment opportunities. So you have to understand that even if you're seeing an off market deal, you're not the only one seeing it. There's other people you know, and and also from us, like, you know, we, we have relationships with sellers and property owners and that we've, you know, we've kind of cultivated over time, but at the same time, it's a very competitive market, especially here in Florida. So just assume that if you're seeing a deal, you're not the only one making a look at it. So if a broker brings you an off market deal and say, Hey, listen, this is the story. The pricing expectation is X. If you come in 30% below that pricing expectation, it's, it's off market because the owner doesn't want to market it far and wide for some certain reason, but they're going to hit that pricing one way or another. So if, if you get an opportunity, underwrite it, be aggressive. Um, also, look, if a deal's not for you, a quick no is perfect. It helps us kind of facilitate the conversation, help us to continue to do our job. And we have a better idea of what you're looking for. But if we show you a deal and it takes you about two and a half weeks to get back to us, uh on a deal that we said hey listen the, we've, we've got a short timeline here this is where you need to be this is where the rents are if you can't get to a an answer one way or another quickly it's tough for us to kind of keep you in the loop and you know uh, move you along in that process
1: Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I mean, in in terms of just building relationships back and forth, like your best clients, what does that look like? Do you touch base once a week, once a month, or, you know, how do you get on the short list? Basically that's what people want to
2: know. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, brokers, our job is to cultivate relationships. This is not a transaction business. This is a relationship business, especially from the brokerage side. We cannot do our jobs if we're only focused on, or let me rephrase that. We can't do our jobs effectively and consistently, if we're only focused on transactions, we have to be able to cultivate relationships. And listen, a broker is never gonna be annoyed if some uh, potential buyer is reaching out to them and consistently letting them know, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Um, but also just checking in with the broker, letting them know, hey, listen, uh, I saw that this recently traded, do you have anything similar to this? Um, what are you working on? What's the best, you know, brokers are happy to work with people that are easy to work with and very transparent and, you know, pick up the phone. When, when I, if I call you, um, we get a lot of, you know, denied calls. We get a lot of straight to voicemails. We're, we're on the phones all day, hunting deals, talking to clients. So if I call you and you pick up quickly, I know you're a serious buyer. I know you're a serious investor that, you know, it makes, when I have a deal, I, if I, there's a deal I'm working on right now where we we have a limited scope of marketing allowed, uh, from the seller. We basically have five bullets to use show it to five groups i'm not likely not going to go to a person that never returns my calls or um has a hard time telling me yes or no one way or another right so um quick responses being transparent are all things that help us do our jobs and help us get more deals in front of you because we we feel like you're going to be the one to transact
1: yeah so in essence be respectful of each other's time and you know be professional and simple stuff but it doesn't not commonly executed. I could, I could say that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so any, any last minute thoughts around what risks are out there today would you look at? If you're a buyer today, let's say you're investing, Nasser's investing in South in Southend Tampa or anywhere around there. Any really doesn't matter the market,
2: but what would you look out for? Well, I'd say for like for out of state investors, especially, like thinking you're just going to buy a property and hire a property manager, everything's to be hunk dory. It's not. It's yeah. not the case. You know, you, you know, it is managing a property and, and running a property is very difficult. I mean, you could buy a property at a great basis, and there's a lot of upside in rents and all that. But that upside in rents doesn't just happen because you want it to. You have to be there maintaining the property, especially when you get to like you know older properties, 60s, 70s, uh, vintage there's stuff that pops up and your tenants are not going to stick around and, you know, continue to pay rent if things are not operating as, as efficiently as, as they needed to to pay that premium in rent. So I would say, you know, be hands-on with your property management company. Um, you know, always kind of, I would, you have to visit the properties. We have, you know, our, our best clients, the ones that run the best properties and, you know, all maximize uh, their value and crush their cash flow. right? They're, they're the ones that are, Mm-hmm. Coming down to the property, they always, they you know, they tour the property. They they make sure they check in with their property manager on a regular basis. This is not something where you can just park money and like let it sit and grow. It, it's not. It's not that. You know, you have to be proactive.
1: That's a great point. I mean, all too often you hear the upside presented, which sure enough there is for sure. I'll be the first to tell you, but. It's not glorious in the fact that it's completely you're passive investing. Yeah, there's passive investing opportunities if you are an LP in a deal, right? That's right. If That's if right. You're a partner, <laughs> it's not passive income. <laughs> well, well, as
2: an LP, you just have to sit back, collect checks, you read you read right. investment summaries, right? So that the the only reason that works is because the GP is hustling, you know. So, yeah,
1: you know, when we take, you know, a little bit of heat sometimes or asset management fees or acquisition fees, that money I tell you is well earned.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, no, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So thanks. Thanks so much, N- Nasser. So um, for those listening, they want to learn more about the market. Maybe they're interested in buying a property or listing a property. How, they, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way?
2: LinkedIn is a great way. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Nasser al-Hafi uh, in, uh, well, at least one of the, one of the few, one of the few. So uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very responsive. Listen, my job is to, con- to to talk to investors, talk to owners. I'm consistently, Hunting deals, consistently talking to people, trying to get in front of as many people as possible. So, LinkedIn is the best way. You can email me at Nasser at capstone-companies.com. Um, and you can get my cell phone number on uh, the Capstone website.
1: That's dangerous.
2: Yeah, man.
0: <laughs> well, thanks so much, man. Appreciate you joining.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for the time.
0: Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cash Flow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey. And we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.